0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today we interview Rachel Bartholomew, founder and CEO of High Ivy, High Ivy spelt H-Y-I-V-Y. High Ivy Health provides a suite of pelvic rehabilitation products for women who have pelvic cancers and diseases to help improve sexual recovery after devastating diagnosis, treatment, or surgery. They are the first company to perform therapy while also tracking data in real time on pelvic health. By tracking their data, they have a better understanding of the pelvic floor, how to treat it effectively, and predict which women are at higher risk of pelvic health challenges. Did you know that one in three women have pelvic health problems? In fact, Rachel, our guest today, is one of these women. She is a survivor of cancer. She tells us about her story of getting cervical cancer in her 20s and her struggles with the current methods of pelvic floor therapy. This is a super awesome interview. Rachel is a fantastic founder who I have personally worked with, and I know she's going to be successful, and I just can't wait to see how she impacts women's health and wellness. Enjoy. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, Britt. How are you today? I am doing awesome. How are you?
1: I'm doing great as well. I'm excited to be
0: here. Yeah. Where are you calling in from?
1: I am calling in from a little town outside of Waterloo, which is also a little town outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So Canada. Uh, enjoying the nice country landscape. Uh, I moved to a new house recently. So.
0: Awesome. We yeah. love our Canadians. We have a lot of Canadian listeners. We love y'all. <laughs> and we love y'all right back. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, well, you know, we are so excited to hear your story today. We had a phone call and I just knew we had to get your story on record because it is a powerful one and I think it is a story that needs to be told. And this is a great platform to talk about all the details that many platforms do not you know, provide space for. Um, so as we get started here, our listeners love to learn about the background of our guests, right? We usually don't say we want to grow up and be in femtech. Somehow we landed up here. So Hopefully. tell us the story. What tell us about Rachel? Where are you from? What did you study? What did you do? And then how did you end up here?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I am born and raised in a small town called Waterloo. Uh, we are about an hour outside of Toronto, and it is a uh, we call it the barn raising community. And so. What that aspect really entails is we have a lot of Mennonites in our area, and part of how they get things done is they work together as a community. And that ultimately sprung into this, like, amazing tech community that has been developed here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're called the Silicon Valley of the North, which is really interesting. <laughs> um, and so a little more Canadian than uh, your Silicon Valley, a little less aggressive, I would say. but um, <laughs> yeah, we A are, little nicer. <laughs> yeah, a little nicer. Um, But yeah, we have this really old school mentality of just helping the community out and coming together. And this has created kind of this really awesome infrastructure for um, innovation and entrepreneurs and that kind of thing. So I like everyone wants to get away from home. So Mm -hmm. I went to Toronto for school. I did some undergrad work in business and then went straight into my master's back at University of Waterloo. Uh, It's one of the most renowned engineering schools, uh, most definitely in Canada and possibly across North America. And so um, I got a master's of business entrepreneurship and technology. And so I wanted to do something a little different uh, than an MBA. I wanted to do something hands-on. And in that process, you are supposed to start a startup. And so first day of school, you're told you have 15 minutes to come up with an idea. The ideas were hilarious. My idea was hilarious, (laughs) but it morphed into uh, a five-year long excursion into the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, I started a company called The Mod Market, not femtech related. Oh, uh, okay. An automotive augmented reality e commerce system. I got to an exit with that uh, after lots of mess ups. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually give like a stand up comedy routine about how much I messed up and how not to mess up like I did. Dude, <laughs> that's an
0: awesome event. We should yeah. do that.
1: That's amazing. For sure. For sure. So um, got that experience hands-on as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I worked a little bit in uh, innovation teams for financial institutions. Um, I've worked in the incubator and accelerator community. So I actually worked with a uh, local university, Wilfrid Laurier University, starting up their incubator. And I got, I kind of took my... T- got my toes dipped in a little bit of everything. Uh, I wanted to try out supporting entrepreneurs to being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. to all the other ways like intrapreneur, which is, you know, working in a corporate institution. So I wanted to try it all out. But my heart always ends up back at starting a company. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) here we are.
0: (laughs) Yes. Once you get bitten by that bug, it's hard. I'm totally screwed. I can never have a boss ever again. Totally... It's true. It's so true. <laughs>
1: Most definitely. Yeah.
0: So, um now you are leading this company called High IV. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the company and then why did you start it?
1: Yeah, so working in the incubator, um I did that for a year as kind of a pause in between uh, selling the first company and going into the second one, which I didn't anticipate doing. Uh, I had worked a year in the incubator, uh, took a pause and said I wanted to kind of reframe my mind, think about what I wanted to do next. And two weeks after giving my notice, I got a cancer diagnosis. So I was like, I guess I know what I'm doing for the next year. Wow. yeah. And so, you know, throws you for a little bit of a loop. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and yeah, that was my focus over the past year. And that situation just, um, you know, it, it's something that you don't plan for. It's mm-hmm. something that came out of left field for me. Um, I, I was a little bit angry because I did all the right things. I did my pap smears. I did absolutely everything. I, am super conscious of my health. I went to the doctor religiously and how come I ended up with this thing. And so, um, I had a pap smear about a year before, uh, wasn't really sexually active. And, um, I, it's a funny story. I actually had a Tinder, hookup, like one night stand. Uh, and I was like, I need to, I need to get laid. Like I need to have uh-huh. sex right Yes, yeah, sexual uh, wellness
0: girl. It's a, it's a wellness <laughs> important factor. Yes,
1: exactly. And so, you know, uh, a year and a half later, I have this one night stand and um, it was not pretty. Let's just say that as much. Yeah. Um, yeah and cervical cancer tumors, especially if they are Right there, um, they can be quite aggressive. And so there was a lot of blood. And I was like, okay, this probably isn't my period. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think it's important to kind of highlight this stuff because it can happen to anyone. Yes. Uh, It can be disguised as so many different things. And, you know, I like to say it as raw as it is, um, how I found it and what other women can be aware of. And so, yeah, I, I, this, this thing kept bleeding and bleeding and I'm like, something's not right. Like I had my period. I don't normally, it was very regular. So I don't normally get this little in between. Dude, that one night stand from Tinder, like saved your life then, huh? Oh, like you should hear the jokes my gynecologist and me make. It's like, I owe that guy my life, even though I don't like him at all. And he is history yes oh my gosh (laughs) wow tinder
0: can save your life ladies maybe sometimes
1: yeah sometimes (laughs) there is a lot of ugly but there is some beautiful things that can come out of it wow (laughs) so yeah i go you know about a week or two later to the doctor um i i'm opened up i'm there i am uh getting an examination he opens me up and he's like oh my goodness (gasps) and he Runs out of the office
0: that's and comes never back. never good when, when your legs are uh, open and that's yeah. happening.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. So he runs out, grabs the nurses and another doctor. They come in, and they're all kind of peeking <sighs> in there. And I'm like, what's going on down there? Yeah, what's in there? And, he in there? <laughs> and so um, he says, okay, there's something here. Uh, this is an emergency. We need to get you in to a gynecologist right away. And – You know, I leave the office going like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea. Um, And it was crazy because they really didn't give me any information. Mm -hmm. And any of my ladies listening who have went through this process, it's like the craziest process ever. They give you like little bits and pieces of information because they don't want you to panic and like Mm -hmm. call their office every two seconds in a panic, but It's also, like, so hard to mentally prepare for what's about to come because you're going through this ride. And so I get to the gynecologist's office, like, the next week. Um, I am in Canada, so things are a little different than the (laughs) U.S.
0: Oh, God, yeah.
1: (laughs) We... Have free healthcare, uh-huh. so and we did. I did actually move through the healthcare system quite quickly, yeah. uh, so they were very quick to respond, which was great. But you know, I went to my gynecologist, and they they didn't even tell me what was happening until I got into the office and I saw the nurse before, and I read on her screen um, as she's doing like the kind of preparation yeah. to get me into the doctor. Yeah. Um, I think at that time it was a two centimeter tumor, uh-huh. and I'm like, what? the heck is going on they put me back out into the waiting room and my mom's there with me and I'm like mom mm-hmm. like there's actually like it's saying there's a tumor in my notes but they didn't tell me that <gasps> at the doctor's office. by the way how old
0: were you at the time
1: 28 wow yeah so <laughs> so that was a little bit of like a rattling situation, gynecologist looks, and she says, you know, I think we have um, a serious situation here. Uh, And next thing you know, I am right through biopsy, right through uh, x-rays, ultrasound, CT, MRI, PET scan, uh, all the way to the oncologist. And my tumor grew from the moment we started from two centimeters to four centimeters (gasps) within a month. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was a, it was a ride. Yeah. And so I was very quick to, jump on the operating table. Um, luckily, I was stage uh, one, but I was a later stage one. So I was right on the cusp of not being able to get surgery, but actually having to go in and get um, radiation and chemo yes. first. Yeah. So luckily, they were able to do a uh, radical hysterectomy on me, um, as well as a pelvic lymphadectomy. I think I always say that word wrong. But um, they took my fallopian tubes, my uterus my cervix half of my vagina uh transposed my ovaries so that potentially if I had to get radiation they wouldn't get radiated on unfortunately that didn't happen um but you know healing through my process of um going through that hysterectomy and you know losing the chance of fertility which was a huge for me at 28 um you're on bed rest I uh (laughs) My, I always say my body was shut down, but my brain was going 100 miles per hour laying in bed. And I had connected with these women on Facebook. Uh, honestly, these Facebook groups for gynecological cancers, if anyone's listening, join them. They are the best place to be. Um, The women are so insanely helpful. They're so compassionate. They have really great rules in place to make sure that sensitive materials don't get through um, and that level of sensitivity is there. And I saw this common theme of women just talking about their aftercare after uh, a pelvic based cancer, especially gynecological cancers, and this pattern of what the heck is a dilator? What the heck is pelvic floor therapy? Um, I haven't had sex in 18 years since my my surgeries or my radiation treatments. Um, I'm completely sewn shut. I don't know what to do. Um, and I saw these reoccurring patterns. Yes. And- I'm no stranger to pelvic health problems. I actually had a bartholence gland cyst in the past, had a surgery there where um, I felt everything. That was my first learning of mm. not knowing that I can actually take, can't take freezing. So I had a little bit of PTSD from that, developed some pretty significant pelvic floor issues. Uh, saw a pelvic floor therapist and used the dilators and the whole nine yards and kind of learned that okay, 15 years later, nothing has changed. Yeah, oh my gosh. So I was like, okay, there's something here. I'm an innovator. I'm a problem solver. I can tackle this. Uh, And so kind of, you know, put a couple probing questions out there on the Facebook groups, um, got some information together, did some secondary research on my end. And when I started my radiation, um, September 1st of last year, so I I'm just coming up to almost my ending wow. uh, one year, but so, so I'm still in it. Um, but I had started my radiation treatments um, and with radiation, you're in the hospital every day. It's a full-time job. And I was like, okay, I have this like medical thing I'm thinking about doing. There's tons of doctors around. I'm going to force them to listen to me.
0: Oh my God. You are <laughs> intrapreneur so- in the oncology <laughs> center. <laughs>
1: So I'm laying in the radiation machine. They're like, they're like trying to align my. uh, You get radiation tattoos aligned with the the laser beams for the radiation machine, and I'm like, hey, I have this business idea, and blah 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 oh, blah, and you can't leave my side because you're setting me up for radiation, so you have to listen to me. We <laughs> really like you. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was a great kind of chance to get that medical validation mm-hmm. I needed. That. They were looking for something. They didn't know how to direct women the right ways other than these kind of two standards of care, which is dilators, which everybody sucks. Everybody hates. They suck. Um, and the other, you know, path being pelvic floor therapy, which is slowly getting adopted, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of women are kind of uncomfortable with the fact that somebody else is just in there and dig it around. Yeah. Can we
0: actually talk about that for a second? So, um, you know, we've talked about dilators in the past, but not in great detail. So can you just tell our listeners real quick, like if they have no idea what image should come into their head, what do you mean by a dilator?
1: Most definitely. So um, I will try to say it as straightforward as possible. Yeah, just say it. (laughs) They are, I would say, very straight, very cold, very plastic sticks on a handle. <laughs> they are cylinders. They are shaped kind of like a very straight penis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call them like Russian dolls. You twist them off and off comes the larger piece to a smaller piece and okay. they get smaller and smaller down. What they are meant to do is break down scar tissue, stretch it, stretch out the muscles. Um, all the things that happen from you know, menopausal problems to, you know, radiation to surgeries, anything that can kind of affect the vaginal canal or vaginal vault.
0: Yeah. So it's for the vagina, right? It's yeah. not like for rubbing anywhere else. It's like for inserting into the vagina to break up scar exactly. tissue, which, if anyone yeah. has broken up scar tissue, it's a horrible experience.
1: Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. And they even have them anally as well. So if you go through radiation oh. for, um, colorectal, any sort of pelvic based cancers you deal with incontinence, wow. you deal with that kind of, um, smoothing out of your bowel lining, uh, as well as your, uh, bladder lining. And then also the vaginal. Wow. So, uh, lots of scar tissue problems yeah. that come along with radiation. All right. So
0: that's the dilator part. And then what, when we say pelvic floor therapy, let's say I have an appointment for my pelvic floor therapist. What should I expect?
1: What happens? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my experience was an interesting one. Uh, when I first started, it was very clinical and very, you know, rigid and they want to start out that way. And Mm -hmm. it's going to feel very cold almost. And part of that is just, it's such a sensitive area and it needs to be treated with care. And, the practitioners know that. And so what they do is they go through your whole history. They get an understanding of what's happened. Um, they get an understanding of the symptoms that you're experiencing. And then they do a very, very gentle examination of your pelvic floor from the inside. So they will actually go uh, both vaginally as well as uh, rectally and examine all of your muscles, examine all of the tissue, um, any of the inconsistencies that happen there. Um, and what they will do is eventually, once you've actually went through the assessment, they will understand exactly what condition you're in and how they can start to solve some of the issues. And it's interesting because my new pelvic floor therapist I'm working with now, uh, she actually looks at the pelvis from like the knees all the way up to the the breast. Wow. She is looking at everything. She's looking at inside, she's looking at outside. So it's a lot of combination, especially if you've had surgery or radiation. There's scar tissue everywhere. Um, And so she looks at breaking down uh, and loosening up the scar tissue as a gentle massage on the outside, um, all around the pubic bones areas, the hip bones. And then she works very gently inside in the vaginal vault into the kind of the crevices that you can't get at from mm-hmm, the outside, mm-hmm. um, and it is quite the experience because she's able to get muscles that have never been touched before. Yeah, so Whoa. there's a lot of like, Ooh, what was that? Ooh, that's a, a feeling I've never felt before. What so. an
0: intimate, you know, experience to, yeah. and like, uh, I mean, regardless of how mannerly your pelvic floor therapist is, I mean, if you're a woman who you know, is a little shy, or, you know, I I talk about vulvas all day. So like spreading my legs is not as big (laughs) of a thing. But you know, I am a woman who is a survivor of sexual trauma. And like, so for me, it would be very intense about who that person was, what they look like, what do they sound like, you know, I didn't realize
1: how intense this was. Yeah, and, and that's why we see a massive drop-off rate. I mean, oh, women
0: yeah.
1: women are told to use these, these things. These are the two standards of care, especially for more of the significant diseases, uh-huh. um, and even as much as gender reassignment surgeries. Mm. These are women who are going through really traumatic situations, and now you're being told that you have to spend up to $5,000 for a pelvic floor therapist um, just to get anywhere to even potentially think about having sex naturally again wow. um, or use dilators, which massive follow rates. Half the people don't know how to use them properly. I was told like on a little check bar- box, are you using dilators? Yes or no. And it's like, nobody told me how to use them. Luckily I went through it before in the past. So I knew yeah. about it, but poor women who have to go through this completely different standards of care and half the doctors, you know, have one perception where it's just like, Oh, go off, do your thing. You'll figure it out. The other half are actually semi proactive with it. Um, But it's interesting when I was going through that validation with doctors, they even admitted themselves that they're part of the problem. Mm. They don't know how to properly um, guide women. They don't know how to properly set them up for success. Part of that has to do with the lack of research part of that has to do with um, schools of thought in the way that they were taught. Um, And we all know that the old school thought process really didn't keep women in mind. Mm -hmm. And so if I go to the doctor, I'm going to get a very different standard of care than if you go to the doctor. And this is a huge issue. It's a big problem. We have no data backing up the success of any of this stuff. Wow. It kind of just became standard of care. Luckily, pelvic floor therapists are changing this, and we really look at them at High Ivy as uh, a partner rather than a competitor because we need our girls to keep going, and we need some some better alternatives than what's currently being offered.
0: Yeah, and I mean, their hands are literally in it. And so like, I hope they have some sense of what they're doing and that there's progress and like, they're not just figuring it out while they're in your rectum, right? Like exactly, hopefully they yeah. have some like protocols and, um, Oh, hundred yeah,
1: yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. well-trained. They're well-trained. Um, but it is new, right? And yeah. So in yeah. France, in France, this is something that is uh, actually mandatory. If you've had a baby, uh, you're given by the government over in France, uh, 20 sessions comped by the government Whoa. to go through pelvic floor therapy. Uh-huh. But then you have places like uh, Japan that don't even use tampons. And yeah. these types of things don't even exist. Yeah. So, you know, North America sits kind of in the middle uh-huh. of the spectrum. We're still learning about this stuff, but we haven't quite fully adopted it. Yeah.
0: Yet. And America, at least the United States, let me be more specific and not be too American by saying America, United yeah. States. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, we have a large population of people who don't believe science. So, yeah, we we are still we're still <laughs> yes. working on that. We're still working on it.
1: Yeah, let's not go through the whole COVID situation yeah, stuff yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. too. Oh but. my gosh! Um, so,
0: yeah. what is High Ivy then?
1: Yeah, so learning about all of this, learning about kind of my um, experience and. Initially, I had started out focusing on hysterectomies, hence the high and high IV. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I realized that a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing from cancer, um, both radiation and going through a surgery, that's, you know, hysterectomies are pretty well known surgeries mm-hmm. and pretty regular. Um, I realized these symptoms were very similar across very different diagnoses. So, um, and a lot of the times these diagnoses, Compound over top of each other. Mm-hmm. So, with radiation, at 28, I was in full blown menopause. And <sighs> oh boy, going into a hot flash wow. for the first time was an interesting wow. experience. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I deal with incontinence. Um, and I know that talking with, as I started to talk to more people in different uh, areas of diagnoses, this is similar across PCOS, endometriosis, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the way into postpartum complications. There's prolapse, all these things develop things like scar tissue and changes to your physical structure, um, changes in your lubrication levels, changes in the way that you can control your muscles. And unfortunately, a lot of the products that are out there, so not even just the standards of care in terms of the dilators and pelvic floor therapy we've talked about, but Kegel exercisers and some of these other tools, they're just not going to cut it for us poor girls who could barely, you know get a dilator in or do a Kegel because there's so many other things going on. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do was really approach this from a holistic standpoint, knowing that, you know, most likely if you have incontinence, you probably have, you know, some muscle control issues. If you have lubrication issues, you probably have some healthy tissue problems. Mm. Right. And so we came at this at developing kind of an overall medical approach for our product development focusing on the five vital signs of the pelvic floor. So looking at sensation, both pleasure and pain, looking at uh, lubrication levels, so healthy discharge all the way to menstruation and infection, um, healthy tissues. So looking at scar tissue to you know your regular good old healthy tissues, um, muscle control and response, and then looking at incontinence, from both a bowel and bladder. I think we all forget that the bowel has just as much incontinence as the bladder can have as well. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do was create a product that kind of served a lot of those different functions mm-hmm. in combination with... Um, some data which has been really really exciting so we created a uh, iot platform so first is the therapeutic vaginal wand uh, and what it is is it's modular and customized to your own specific needs so we work with women uh, who deal with menopause all the way to cancers gender reassignment surgeries to twist and click on different modules that work best for their specific symptoms Got it. and rachel and,
0: real quick We have a lot of listeners that are not entrepreneurs. We have farmers. We have everyone on here. What is, what do you mean by IOT? And what do you mean by modular? So I'm thinking in my mind, vaginal wand, it's customizable, but tell me why, why did you call it IOT and what's modular mean?
1: Yeah, so IoT uh, really focuses on the Internet of Things. So what we're trying to do is not just provide a therapeutic device. We also want to provide a device that has data elements to it and is able to take that data and share it, you know, With yourself to showcase your progress, which nobody has really delved into yet. And partially the reason why we're at where we're at is because we don't have access to this data. Um, But then go as far as sharing it with your doctors to be able to say, here's what's happening with me. Mm -hmm. Give me the proper treatment plans, what's working, what's not, and let's make adaptive changes to that. So that's what I mean when I say IoT. Mm -hmm. Um, And then- you know, going into the modularity side of things, um, we wanted to make it so that you can customize this device for you. So when we say modular, we actually have all these different components uh, and pieces of the device that actually can detach from themselves. And be built on top of each other to be able to provide certain forms of therapy as well as data collection. So, what we're doing is, and some of these modules are things like hot and cold contrast therapy. So oh. we can actually go from hot to cold, cold to hot, and back again. Um, and it's interesting. We actually did a lot of testing... Um, there are some very interesting ways. I was a part of this testing myself um, and found out quite a lot of really interesting things in that process. And so hot and cold really has that ability to penetrate beyond just the tissue. Uh, it actually goes into the surrounding organs and feels a lot better. I know I got at least a day's worth of uh, alleviation of symptoms from a radiation cystitis, just from using that, uh, cold therapy. I mean, it
0: makes sense, right? If you're doing muscle therapy and you put an ice pack on it or a heating pad, it makes sense. But like, how the heck do you put an ice pack up your vagina? Exactly. Okay. Interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. So hot and cold therapy is one. Uh, that is, um, in combination with temperature sensors, mm-hmm. we actually found out that our disease populations sit at higher intervaginal temperatures than our normal population. What does that mean? Yeah, so <laughs> within the vagina. Um, so our normal ladies who aren't experiencing any issues sit at a temperature of around 36 degrees up to uh, 37.5 when they're menstruating and ovulating. For some reason, us ladies who are dealing with some complications – Uh, are actually sitting at, so I was sitting at 37.7 and higher uh, and we saw all the way up to 39. Wow. Yeah. So something's going on in there and we're trying to figure out what that, that could indicate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's looking at things like, you know, is that an inflammatory response? Is that a hormonal change? Is that a marker that something's going on down there? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, We dove into that a little bit. Um, We've been looking at, uh, so we provide also uh, self-lubrication. So what we do is we have these little pods that go into the device and give a dosage of lubrication based on the moisture levels within the canal. So what we're looking at is what is the optimal arousal state of lubrication and making sure you constantly have that, especially for our menopausal women out there um, and making sure that you're well lubricated so that we don't have tears. We don't have friction and pain.
0: This um, sounds like a vagina fairy godmother. Yeah. <laughs> like she just goes in there and she's like, all right, girl, exactly. I'm assess, I'm gonna assess you all. And then I'm going to provide you what you need. Exactly. Exactly,
1: And that's the beauty of sensors. Right. And I think that's one of the things that this whole area has missed. We've started introducing pressure and force sensors, Mm -hmm. but what we've missed is just sticking some sensors up our hoo-ha and realizing that there's so much that can be told to us by these simple, simple, um, sensors and that kind of thing. And once
0: again, you are actually following the femtech trend. If, you know, if, uh, you're listening right now, if you've listened in the past, you continue to hear this. We know that, you know, temperature inside the vagina probably makes a difference. The lubrication probably makes a difference. But when we try to look at the graphs, the data, the research, we realize nobody's done it. And so you are similar to other femtech founders where you're saying, we know it's important and not only are we a startup creating a business with unit economics but we're also researchers you know we're exactly. empowering this we're doing the we're doing the science ourselves we're discovering it
1: exactly and that was the thing that transformed us from a therapeutic device company to a data company. Yes. Um, obviously we want to provide women with this device mm-hmm. as soon and as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't even highlight, you know, we have auto dilators that are looking at different um, dilating at different sizes because we actually found out that the pelvic floor pushes our floor to be flat. So our vaginas are actually relatively flat in the very kind of first third of our our vagina and why has everything been created like a cylinder well everybody creates products as they know after a penis but yet us girls can't fit a penis in there because we have scar tissue and all these things going on oh
0: my god so what it should should it look like a like a tape like a ruler like it should go in (laughs) flat that way
1: yeah, so what we actually did was created um, a handle that rests on the pubic bone mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't have to reach down and do all these crazy yoga poses, uh-huh. um, but also be able to pass through the high-pressure zone of the pelvic floor, which a lot of women complain when they stick something up there, it shoots right back out. And that's uh-huh. because we have this band of muscle over our pelvic floor that is just pressurizing right. everything. yeah. So we wanted to make sure that it was flat uh, to Mm -hmm. fit those ergonomics. It was long enough to be able to reach all the way to the back of the canal um, and hook in so that we can actually – keep it in there, keep it comfortable yes. and be able to get past some of these, um, major problems. Oh my God. But just,
0: just the like, um, physics of the vagina is so interesting to me it is. because as you oh, just definitely. talked about, like, yeah, like that first part of the vagina has pressure. So things pop out. I'm imagining like every time I put something in my vagina, like you have to get past that part. Like if you're putting a tampon in, you have to get past that part of pressure for it to stay in there, which is like I've, you know, hundreds of times in my life, but I've never really thought about
1: it. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, I didn't either until we started to do all this crazy testing. Mm. We were doing testing with balloons and all sorts of different (laughs) stuff. And we found this stuff out where it's like, why has everything been created with this standard in mind? Well, it's male driven. It's male driven to create products so that it can satisfy men. And I hate to say that, but that's the way it is. And a lot of us just can't even consider sex, let alone interacting with a penis, with our vagina in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. We just want to get back to being able to have an exam comfortably by our doctors. Right. So, but you know, that really led to that data element and that data element for us. um, My ultimate goal with this company is to open source this data to researchers so that we can actually start giving people Quantifiable data points on incontinence and lubrication levels, and you know, specifically on the disease population, where a lot of medical research and a lot of funding goes into to figure out all these things. um, How this can actually impact, you know, the baseline of research and start to make some. Progress here. Like Rachel, let's... I am blown
0: away. I'm, I'm like, how much are you raising? What's your terms? I want to invest. This is so for real. It reminds me a lot of um, Lioness. We just had Liz yeah. on a few weeks ago. They just opened their open source research source, for yeah. orgasms, right? Because they yes. have an IoT, Internet of Things vibrator that can measure yeah. orgasms. And so they're like, yeah. hey, sex researchers, you want to see a database of 60,000 and growing orgasms? Yeah. Like, here
1: you go. Tell us what you find. Exactly. And oh. I, I absolutely adore Lioness. They mm-hmm. uh, they messaged us on Instagram and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan I
0: girl. know. That's <laughs> how I felt too. I was like, yeah. hey girl, you please me a lot. I love you. <laughs> I, I know, like, right?
1: But there, uh, I, I know some of the stuff they've been able to find out like the effect of concussions on orgasms. And mm-hmm. it was from one of their users that just had said like, Hey, nothing's working for me. And then they dove into it and found that it was like a concussion. That on. Like this is the type of stuff we have no idea yep. about. And like, why the heck do we not know these things? Wow. We are half the world's population. Like let's figure this out.
0: Yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Yeah. So what, where are you at with the company? A lot of our listeners, um, they want to buy the product if it's available or they want to know like, when can they expect this? So give us a sense of where you're at right now and like, what is the near near term
1: goals? Yeah. So we have, uh, we're just in the process of filing our patents and getting this product kind of secured up so that Mm -hmm. we can actually start to promote this. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go on our website, uh, hiivy.com you will see that there's not a lot of information out there, but that's partially too, because we've been a little bit hush hush, but Mm -hmm. starting to open up about what we're working on now. Um, And so what our goal is over the next little bit, uh, we are trying to make a decision uh, in the very, very short term. So within the next week or two of, if we will be going down the medical device route, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately the route that allows us to leverage this data in a medical sense, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately doesn't allow us to get this product to market quick, which Ultimately, for me as a consumer and selfishly creating this company for my own purposes, um, I want to get this out in women's hands, collect this data, um, and figure out how we can then go into the medical Mm -hmm. market. So. Selling to consumers, Um, we are hoping to get this product kind of through pre-sale towards uh, summer of next year. So we will be ramping up all of our user testing and clinical testing in the next month. So we have a little spot on our website on the top banner that says sign up now. If you are a woman who's experiencing any pelvic floor issues, this could be, or pelvic health issues rather, this could be vulvodynia, vaginismus, to postpartum issues, to cancer, to gender reassignment surgeries, please contact us. We are looking for people to participate. You will not be thrown right into testing. We're going to do lots of surveys (laughs) and interviews with you, understand your conditions so that we are best prepared to understand how we can benefit you the most, Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully get that product in the hands of our user testers uh, towards uh, winter, end of fall, winter of this year. So... We are looking for people. Please sign up on the website. Which um, is high
0: it. Dot com. which is, okay, is I-V. H-Y-I-V-Y. I-V-Y. Yeah, yep. H-Y-I-V-Y.com. Yep. H-Y-I-V-Y.
1: Yeah. And keep, keep a kind of lookout for our pre-sale. Obviously anyone who participates is going to get, um, you know, in our user testing is going to get a benefit on that pre-sale and kind of early access to it. Uh, But that will be coming out towards uh, spring, summer of next
0: year. So So, incredible, Rachel, you know, you are targeting two things that I, you're targeting many things, but two in particular that I'm very passionate about. And I think we don't Talk enough about is, you know, the world is like, let's cure cancer, let's cure cancer. And then it's like, okay, woman, you survived, you're a survivor, good on you have a good life. And yes. the only thing I do hear about is fertility. But for me, it's like, why are we still stuck in the paradigm that a woman's only purpose is to reproduce? What about her lifestyle quality? So I love exactly. that you're targeting that, you know, I'm a survivor, but and yeah, and my life should be not subpar. I want a normal survivor life, right? Um, And the other part is, and you've said this several times that I'd love to just like take a minute or two for us to talk about it, is the gender reassignment surgery. So, you know, at Femtech Focus, we we are not the last say on what Femtech is defined as, but for us, we define it as uh, women and female health. And so for us, it's queer health, it's, you know, transgender health. And so can you tell us a little bit about what has, in what context does your device help an individual with gender reassignment? And then also did they have any solutions before? Is this the first solution?
1: Yeah. So such an interesting question. One that I knew about talking to pelvic floor therapists, but didn't, didn't know how to address it. And I was pitching in New York and lo and behold, in this virtual pitch, there was this woman who was just screaming on the other end going, we need to talk, we need to talk. And this wonderful, amazing human, Claire, who is now on our team, uh, who has went through the gender reassignment surgery. So she transitioned from male to female. Okay. Um she's went through all of these issues. And it's so funny, because she's like a crazy inventor. And so she actually hacks away at things and has bought all of our competitors products and has tried (laughs) to like make this zombie product that would work best for her. It was so interesting sharing her sharing her story and comparing it to mine. Even though we have two completely separate stories, we were dealing with the exact same issues. And it's like, Why? Like, what is this? And so, you know, she went as far as even showing pictures and really openly sharing her experience. And she's actually, unfortunately, potentially going back into surgery, uh, to just get through. She did everything right and still is dealing with these issues. And so, you know, with this comes, um, lifelong use of dilators. So they are told to use dilators, uh, pretty much for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. For me, it's up to five years, um, after my, my cancer treatments, but for her, it's a lifelong journey Yeah, just to keep that, that shape and the surgery and everything together, uh, break down that scar tissue and be able to just be a normal functioning woman. Um, you know, it is a very, tough space because she has mentioned that majority of women have to go back into three, four, five different surgeries just to be able to have a semi normal sex life and urinary function and sensitivity and all of this stuff. So you know, but once again, very similar to what I had experienced. And I was I was very shocked. Um, I learned a lot. She has been such a blessing, um, and has really opened us up to understanding a little bit more about how we can help break down the scar tissues, make it a more comfortable experience, um, and make it a little less invasive. Yeah, uh, in what it really is. Wow.
0: Well, thank you so much for what you do and being a mm-hmm. conscious, forward thinking leader um, and knowing that your product, you know, it's not only the right choice socially, but it's also the right choice in a business mindset to think about what are all the other markets that my product applies to. But I I think we're going to get clear on the show. I'd love that. I would love to talk to her. Um, Rachel, I pretty sure I want to be your best friend. We can talk all day. Um, we got to wrap this up though. (laughs) Uh, We got two last questions that our listeners love. The first one is, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating?
1: Yeah. So I'll make this super quick. Um, and I think I kind of highlighted it a bit. Disease population needs some more attention uh, you know, we've got a lot of information on our, our general women's health. Uh, and I mean, still needed in that area, but definitely our disease population feels like we've been left out in the dust a little bit. Um,
0: what do you mean by that? What's disease population?
1: Yeah. So women experiencing the complications of, um, pelvic health. So, um, endometriosis is something that is like people still got to go in for surgeries every so often to get everything cleaned out like it's so invasive and we don't know enough about it Um, PCOS same thing it's this complex understanding of our hormones and how our brain talks to the pelvic floor and all of this stuff is is still very unknown and Mm. i mean we're experiencing that firsthand getting our research so we need more people there whether it's research whether it's diving into our your own internal research through a company people focusing on trying to get our women dealing with complex pelvic issues through to just a normal quality of life Um, aging is a huge one. I mean, that is just something that even, like I said, the doctors had, had mentioned, we just kind of say they hit an age and like, who cares, but that's not the approach to take. Um, we need more women, not afraid to take on hardware, medical, Sensors, like let's stick some sensors up yes, there. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. So
1: I think that is uh, that is one of the biggest or oh, a couple man. of the biggest areas. Wow,
0: incredible. And our last question is, um, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole right now needs the most in order to be successful?
1: Yeah, so I think we need, you know, obviously I think this with femtech comes just the general conversation of women entrepreneurs. Mm. We need curious women. We need women who aren't afraid of the unknown. Um, there's a lot, especially in the women, the area of women's health. Um, but at the same time, the unknown comes a lot of opportunity and. Opportunity can be scary because it's like you're going out, and they say the blue ocean. It's this ocean of opportunity and, and freedom, but at the same time, there's big waves and there's sharks and there's all sorts of things, right? So, women who are willing to take the risk to dive in um, understand that failure is a good thing. Uh, uh, it is, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's going to come, it's going to happen. Yep. Um, but that can always be transformed into something positive and us girls just got to put our, put our boots on and, you know, get in the trenches and get in there um, and not be afraid to take some hits along the way and take some risks.
0: Yes. God, Rachel, seriously, best friends. I'm like all about <laughs> it. I'm going to call you for a pep talk whenever I need one. Sounds good. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, yeah, I really you. appreciate you.
1: Yes. Likewise. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to my interview with Rachel Bartholomew, founder and CEO of High Ivy Health. I never, ever thought a cancer diagnosis would come after a one-night stand from Tinder. But you know what? That's how the cookie crumbles sometimes, right? And ladies, if sex is painful, that is not normal. First, try to tell your partner about it and see if it's just the angle or the depth. Um, But... If it's still painful, that's not normal, and you should always check with your doctor. This podcast has taught me so much about pelvic floor health. I have a whole new respect for my pelvic floor muscles, I'll tell you that. And I have an even bigger respect for these innovators that are tired of phallic dilators and human hands in an office rubbing inside the vagina and the anus as the only options to decrease pain and increase pelvic floor function. It is always crazy to me what the medical world has accepted as normal and good enough for treatment. Well, watch out medical world because Femtech is here and we are updating it all. All right, Fetty Fam <laughs> Giving Tuesday is tomorrow and FemTech Focus needs your help. We are a nonprofit and rely on your donations in order to operate. We have a goal of raising $75,000 by the end of the year. Please consider donating to our organization so that we can continue elevating women's health and wellness. This funding goes directly to operations of our podcast, our virtual network, and our events. Any amount you can donate would be extremely helpful. Stay up to date with all we're working on by going to our website, femtechfocus.org, and subscribing to our newsletter. Also, join our virtual community. We have a few dozen people joining every day. We have hundreds of members, and it's a great place to find other Fem fans. Until next time, keep innovating, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.